If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. We are out here in the beautiful woods, and we've been recording uh, the last three of the uh, Capital Sins. And uh, we have worked our way we, down the, the chocolate fountain of the de- <laughs> seven deadly sins. The chocolate sins. fountain of sin, which is really a very good, uh, in more ways than one. That's a, that's a layered uh, And we started with pride, and now we come to the bottom. We're all the, the way to the, the bottom. The bottom. We've raced, we've not right. raced, but we've, yeah. we've worked our way right. to the bottom, and the bottom right. is... Lust. Lust. And this one is quite a current cultural hot button. This leads to a discussion of current social mores, and uh, this is something that I've, the lackness, laxness in this area is something I have seen in the church. Things, uh, you know, I'll give just a quick example, um, and maybe I'll push your button, uh, the listener's button, I don't know. Couples living together before they get married. It's an, e- it's an easy example of that kind of laxness. I don't know if that gets right to the, to the core of what we're talking about here. But it's certainly an area that we all need to control and that God is interested in us controlling and that culture around us is just not supporting that, you know? Right. So let me say a couple things to get this one rolling. This is the last of the seven. And there's a reason that it's the last of the seven in Catholic thinking. Now, it depends on whether you think that the chocolate fountain flows up or down. Okay. You know, we, we, people are like, what is this chocolate fountain? We, we said in the first episode that the capital sins are seen in sort of an order and that pride is at the top. And just like you go to a wedding or event or something, they have like one of these, you know, kind of tiered chocolate or cham- champagne yeah. fountains where the th- one thing flows and the next down, down, down. That pride is at the top of that. And, and sort of it's the, the, the most capital sin from which then it flows over into envy and so on and so forth. And that you get to lust at the bottom. Now, lust is traditionally put at the bottom because it's not the top. It's not the one from which other things flow. Right. It's the last. And it's almost like it's hard to explain, but historically in Christian thinking, going back to the church fathers, it's the most boring and least interesting. Mm. Not because it isn't bad, don't get me wrong. Right. But it's kind of boring and not that interesting and it's very human. It's just sort of like, okay, we're human beings. Right. We have these, as, as human beings, we've been given this sexual capacity. Right. And th- there's a purpose for it. Yeah. And there's an abuse of it. And it has, it is where we sort of end up, I mean, it takes very little intelligence to be lustful. Right. It takes very little thought. Right. It takes very little whatever. It's almost this sort of stupid human reflex. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 
and because of that, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it isn't important or it isn't bad, but when I say that it's boring and not terribly interesting, it's because there's there's not much to say about it. Right. Well, I think we'll have at least, you know, right. 20 something minutes of something to say about it. But when we start with something like pride or envy at the top, at higher up on this fountain, the issues are complex. Try to understand what pride is, what envy is, how how wrath or greed works right. in our lives. Those are very complex topics. They have right. sort of philosophical dimensions, complex dimensions in our relationship with God. When it comes down to the bottom that just you can't control your basest urges. Yeah, like and gluttony you, and, and yeah. Yeah, gluttony and lust. You just can't control your impulse to just right. eat and drink and um, uh, you know, and these are sort of animal but things. They're just animal things. They're not, you right. know, the animals don't deal with wrath or or envy, but but they do join in. That's to the, an to physical excellent work. point. So Thomas Aquinas interestingly drew a distinction between animals and humans. Where you remember the Dante class, you know, humans have a rational, have reason and will. They have what he called a rational soul. Right. So we have the capacity to sort of know and understand. That's what what having a, what Aquinas called a reason, a rational soul. We have the capacity to sort of abstractly look at truth yep. and understand it. And then our will gives us the capacity to act on it. Right. Okay. So I love my dog, right? but my dog isn't going to understand, you know, physics, much less geometry, right? much less abstract things about God. Right. You know, so I can say, you and I can sit here and talk about theology and philosophy and all these abstract things about the nature of God and the Trinity and all that. My dog doesn't have the, the sort of rational capacity to think those thoughts. Right. Right. That's just not what it means right. to be a dog or an animal. What Aquinas said is that animals have what he called a sensitive soul. Not just like a sensitive soul, like, right. you know, smooth jazz yeah. and, you know, right? <laughs> but I mean, a sensitive soul in the sense that they're driven by their senses. I love my dog. He's the greatest dog. I have the best dog in the world, right? Right. But he'll go chase the ball out here yep. because he sees the ball and his impulse is to chase the ball and get the ball. Right. Because he's driven by his senses. Right. And he'll come over and let me pet him because he likes the smell of me and he right, likes right. the sound of me and right. he likes it when I rub his head right. or his belly or whatever. Right. right? And when he's hungry, he You're wants to eat something. Yeah. Well, and he wants to eat something. Right. And when he's, he has to go to the bathroom, he goes to the bathroom and right. when he's thirsty, he drinks. Right. And he's driven by those sort of sensory, those impulses, those right. sort of sensory impulses. Right. Right. He doesn't sit around when he's sitting over here under the tree and abstractly think, Right. Philosophical thoughts. Right. right. In a lot of ways, there's, it's, it's why dogs are wonderful because right. he's not plagued by all of I this. I could be a little envious. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because of that, like we have this capacity as humans that allows us to, abs to, to, to be abstract and theoretical and think things, which means on the plus side, we can, you know, we can put men, a man on the moon. Right. And even airplanes, dogs aren't going to put a dog on the moon. Right. Right. Or invent an airplane for dogs. Dogs right. aren't going to do that. Plus, they don't have thumbs. Right. Right. But the thing is, is that, but that, that, that same brain gets us in trouble. Right. Because we can, we can worry and we can be anxious and we can be listless. And we talked about the acedia 
sloth right. thing. We can, right? Our minds can go all to these weird places. So back to that, when we get to the bottom of this fountain of the seven deadly sins, the lowest tiers of it, and we get into gluttony and lust, like you say, these are just basically animal impulses. Right. And gluttony becomes an inability to control some of our, our base animal yeah. impulses. Yeah. Which makes it boring, as you said. Which makes it, yeah, I'm not saying it's bad, not bad, because right. remember, I said a moment ago, uh, the ancients from Aristotle, I said Aquinas, but it starts with Aristotle and Aquinas affirmed it, that humans have both reason and will, which means we have the capacity to know what is good and bad, know right and wrong, and then our will gives us the capacity to choose right, right and wrong, okay? So I can go, you know what? Eating a cheeseburger and having a beer with it and watching the ball game is right. a good thing, not a bad thing. Right. Doing that for nine hours. Right. And eating nine cheeseburgers and right. drinking nine beers and laying on my couch for nine hours. Right. That's where the the reason should go. You know, hey, Greg, you know, uh, there's probably a limit to this. And then the, my will gives me the capacity to choose. My record is seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but my point is, is that when I lose the will to control either right. the reason to recognize right and wrong or the will, even though I recognize it, to control myself. I've sort of remember in the Dante class, as he descends into Inferno, the people become yeah. more animalistic because they, they've lost yep. the capacity to know right and wrong and choose it, okay? And that's where the gluttony and lust thing comes in because we, we're all going to have these impulses to just eat and keep eating and eating and eating because it feels good when I eat or it feels good when I drink or right. with lust, it feels good when I... Uh, do sexual activity. Right. Yeah, sure. Right. Right. I mean, that's why my, you know, your dog jumps on your leg. Right, right, right. 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 Oh, okay. But, but as a, as a human being with reason and will, you should have the capacity to control or right. moderate or channel or put limits on, yeah. on your base natural impulses. Yep. So when it comes to lust, that's why I say that, I mean, we, I, I'm not, we're not going to get super explicit here about all that right. because I think our listeners all know, right. you know, the birds and the bees here. Uh, and I don't think it, it, it you know, C.S. Lewis in uh, one of his, uh, I think it was in Mere Christianity, he says something to the effect of, you know, people keep saying that the problem is we don't talk about sex enough. And he goes, the culture has done nothing but talk about sex 24 yeah. hours, seven days a week, you know, right. for a hundred years. I mean, we're all right. bored talking about it. Right. At some point, this is a weird fascination we have. So yeah. something. So I don't need, we don't need to get granular here about some of this. Sure. Where I want to stay is this notion of these, these impulses or instincts that God gave us because we are sexual beings, right? God created them, men and man and men right. and women. Right. And that we have these things, but we're supposed to understand them within the context of, yeah, I need to eat and I need to drink and I have an impulse to reproduce or right. write or, you know, enjoy sexual activity with my spouse. Right. Fine. That's, that's just, you know, right. not that interesting, honestly. Right. But when I can't control or moderate or even make, good judgment right about eating and drinking and sexual activity right now i've descended into this 
place where I really become ruled by my animalistic instincts. Right. And I'm going to be like the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have any, any control over it. And that's where we've, we've come. And, and, and like a little bit, like we said with gluttony, we live in a culture that has idolized this. Sure. We'll get back to the conversation in just a few moments. But first, I'd like to ask for your support in producing and expanding this podcast. It's produced by a 501c3 nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure, with a mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Now, the production budget of this podcast isn't big, but it is real. We've set a goal of 40,000 worldwide downloads in 2023, with a crowdfunding goal of $35,000 to make that happen. Would you help us make that happen? If so, please go to consideringcatholicism.com. You can see our GuideStar charity rating there and donate online with a one-time or recurring gift. And if you have a business or organization interested in sponsoring our ministry, please shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Thank you for listening and considering helping us to help others consider Catholicism. And now, back to the conversation. You know, you and I like to talk a lot about classic rock and all this kind of stuff, but the lyrics of rock and roll songs, you know, from the 60s on, we're all idolizing Right. Yeah. Lust. Sure. And, and, and so what we're talking about here is with lust is obviously the uncontrolled, immoderate exercise or giving into the impulses yep. without utilizing those in the proper ways and yep. degrees. So God created us male and female and the Catholic church's position on, on this is that sex has two purposes, right? Yep. It has a genitive or reproductive purpose and it has a unitive purpose within the marriage. Mm-hmm. So the God gave us sex so that we could have children, right? right. That's the right. reproductive purpose. Yep. And also in that act, it brings the husband and the wife closer together, closer together right? Right. Um, okay. This should be, you know, Right. High school level, you know, theology right. of the body stuff, right? And those impulses are built into us. And part of having reason and will is to, to recognize the proper use of them right. in the times and places. And the Catholic Church says that that is given for a husband and wife in marriage. And it specifically says, and some people are going to wonder about this, that reproductive and, and unitive functions yep. that while it serves both those ends, you can't differentiate them. That's why the Catholic Church teaches us not to use contraception because right. we are open to what God gives us this act and this act opens us up to life and brings us together. Right. And it may or may not produce a child based on God's will. Right. But what we, if we try to separate one from the other, so what we want to say is, no, I just want to have the unitative act separated from the reproductive, that that's where the Catholic right. Church said, uh, has always said, and it was affirmed in 1968 by one of the popes, Humana Vitae, Paul VI, that what that does is then it takes sex out of its context, right? Right, 
and it becomes a tool for my own use or pleasure. And, you know, you go down this, right. this whole thing, right? Well, that's all well bad enough within the context of marriage. But of course, what we've done is we've let this dog off the leash. Right. And out of the yard. Yeah. And now we've said, well, and this is what Paul VI predicted. He said, once contraception became normalized and we separated those reproductive and unitive functions and sex, in a sense, became recreational, right. then there was no reason to keep the dog, you know, chained up in the yard. Right. And now it's not just men and women, it's or husbands and wives. Now it's with anybody. And then it became, well, and if there's no reproductive or unitive purpose to sexuality within marriage, then what's wrong with sexual uh, activity between uh, men or between women or right. whatever? You've, you've undefined it. You've undefined it. And now what it is is simply the pursuit of uh, or the exercise of this, this most fundamental ant kind of animal, right. you know, instinct urge and the pursuit of that outside any kind of proper channel or purpose is just giving into this this lust this is a big picture thing that i have learned from studying catholicism with you is is that god has ordered everything there's an order to everything and we've talked about this several podcasts back about how a chair you take away the chairness of the chair there's an end for everything there's a purpose for everything I just love, I just love that. It's, it's, uh, it explains so many things and it, and it gives me a way of thinking about so many things, uh, not just, not just marriage and sex, but all kinds of things. Yeah. Like you say, I mean, that's, 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 that's fundamental of the worldview that you have or the philosophical worldview that things are created, like you say, within an order. And then that order is defined often by purpose and, and the thing, there's a reason a thing is. And right. when you, when you, when you, divorce it from its purpose it right. it it in a sense loses its integrity as a thing right so so let's talk about a couple of things here and none of these are new that's the other reason why uh, i think that lust like i said while it's super important and it is a super important to lead to sin it's less interesting right than something like pride because pride is diabolical it's 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 uh subtle. Yeah. Uh, it takes philosophical and th- theological reasoning to sort of understand all the subtle dimensions to it. Right. Just being lustful is not complex to understand right. for, you know, right. uh, humanity. And it's not new. So, right. I right. mean, this is a thing too, where people are like, oh, you know, our culture is this conceit that somehow we're discovering all of this sexual stuff. Like, the ancients didn't know all of this, right? I right. mean, there's this conceit out there even about things like homosexuality and pornography right. that now we're understanding these things. What do you understand? Do you think right. that the Romans or the Greeks, I know for a fact, go read. Anyone right. who says that is simply ignorant of history. Right. They've never right. read or studied the Greeks or the Romans. They, right. they don't know that Plato, you know, has in the symposium a whole discussion about homosexuality in one of his books, the symposium where Socrates and they they discuss this. They, they don't know that the Romans, you go to the city of Pompeii. Pompeii is that city, uh, on the, the West coast of Italy, Mm -hmm. um, about maybe three hours drive from Rome two three hours. 
And it's where uh, in, what is it, 87, I think it was, 79, 80 uh, AD, this volcano, yeah. Vesuvius, yeah. it erupted and it covered the whole city like yeah. in a couple of hours in ash. Well, one of the things that's amazing about that is it basically froze instantly, flash froze yeah. Yeah. under the ash, a Rome, a, an important Roman city. Yeah. So over the centuries now, as they've uncovered it, you go in there and you see like these bodies are preserved under the ash. Right. The the buildings, everything is is preserved. So you can actually see what a Rome, it's like a time machine. And you know, one of the things that Pompeii was full of? Brothels. Mm. Wow. Okay. And so you go to the brothels. I mean, I'm not making this up. You can go there, right? right. You can go online and see them. And in the brothels, they have, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because we're sitting out here in the pretty piney woods and right. this is a Catholic podcast. But you'd go in there and they had, choose your words carefully, Greg, use your words, um, menus. Oh, wow. And they did the menus because in a, in a Roman port city, there would have been a lot of languages spoken. So the sure. menus were um, pictorial. Oh, wow. So you come in there and on the wall, like in the, I don't know what you would call it. I've never been in a brothel, but right. I mean, I imagine there'd be some kind of like a check-in room or something. Right. I don't know. And you would kind of come in the, the little lobby. Right. And on the wall, there were these pictures of people. Doing various things. Various things. And you point at one and say, well, that looks like fun. I want that. Yeah. Right. Uh, of different people and different kinds of people in different configurations, sure. male, female, boys, this, yep. that, and they're doing different right. things. And you go, I want that one. Right. Right. And they go, okay, that's so many dollars yep. or whatever, or, drachma or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever. Right. And Roman coins or something. And, and then you go in and you, you purchase that, that act. Right. Okay. So, and they also had pornography and they had a, Right, so all of these things, and and the reason part of this I'm bringing up is right the 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 early church, right? Peter and Paul. This is the society right. that they were in. They understood all of this, right? Right. Th this was the society in which Peter and Paul wrote the New Testament right. and the letters of the New Testament. So all of these things are not new or particularly uh, innovative. It's a modern conceit. To think that we're the first ones to have to deal with this and, or we're enlightened on it or. Exactly. And the Romans and the Greeks and some of these ancient societies thought this was just fine. There was nothing wrong with it. It, it wasn't illegal. Their society was, you know, sex positive, as we like to say today, or some people right. like to say today, like we're into it. So really the circle has come all the way around. Yeah where the, the sort of lustful, pornographic, uh, you know, hypersexualized culture uh, of the Romans at the time that the New Testament was written, the time the apostles went out, that hypersexualized, lust-driven culture, um, Christianity rose to prominence and it channeled that into a Christian understanding of sexuality mm. or channeled it into, right? Right. And then now here we are 2,000 years later and the wheel has just come back around and we're living today in a culture that is much more like or very similar to the culture that the early church was born in and created in. Yeah. And in some ways it could make it make us sad. Like, look, we're right back where we started. On the other hand, we go, we can take, uh, I think we can have great hope that the church 
overcame this. Yeah. And that brings us to the antidote, which the antidote was chastity. And I want to say something about that. Chastity and celibacy are two different words. Mm -hmm. So in the Catholic church, there's celibacy. Celibacy is what priests and monks and nuns take vows of. Right. Which is to not be married and not to engage in sexual Complete activity. abstinence. It's abstinence of, from sexual activity because they are not to marry and therefore, and because there's, right? Yeah. Outside marriage. Chastity is different. Chastity is simply putting sex in its proper place. Yeah. So, a young man or a young woman who is not married and is a virgin is chaste. Right. Right. A man or a woman who is married and sexually active with their spouse within the context of that marriage yep. is also chaste. Yeah. Right? That is chastity. Chastity is simply understanding the purpose for which God has given us the sexual gift mm-hmm. and utilizing it in the way that it was created to be used. Right. Which is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And so the thing is, is that what the early Christians did is in this lustful society, they taught and modeled chastity. Mm -hmm. And I think that the future for us is to say, we need to create a counterculture. Yeah. And we need to create a culture in which we be chaste people. Yeah, I agree. And if we will do that, the New Testament says, we will be salt and light in a rotting and decaying world. Yeah. And we will, as Paul says, shine like stars in the darkness. But it begins with us having the reason, like we were talking earlier about the reason and will to understand these, these instincts and the gifts that they are and what they were given for and, and the will to, to choose to be chased with them. Being a Christian and following Christ is not a thing that keeps you from enjoying life. It's the opposite. If you want to enjoy life, following Christ is the way to enjoy life. The rest of it is, uh, is, uh, just a shadow. Well said, Ed. And that brings us to the end of our series on the seven deadly sins. Can't wait to see what we do next. I've got an idea. I think we're going to do, uh, I think we're going to do another movie club. Oh. But we got to figure out how we're going to see this movie because there's a new movie out that I think we should go see and review. Mm. So we'll talk offline about um, arranging a time to get to the theater. Love it. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.